Hi everyone. I'm Gary Nolan. I'd like to welcome you to this program. We're here to empower people. That's exactly what we're going to do today because we have one of the most remarkable minds on the planet as my guest. Continuing with our conversations with remarkable minds, the theme integrating our institutions with higher principles of consciousness for addressing the challenges ahead. Dr. Irvin Laszlo will be my guest. He is one of our planet's great philosophers of science and integral theories. He has published over 70 books and hundreds of papers on postmodern culture and the interface between Western civilization and the cutting edge of scientific discovery. For the last 25 years, Dr. Laszlo has been concerned about the mounting threat uh, challenging humanity across many disciplines, nuclear proliferation, climate change, culture of egotism, corporatization, as well as the spiritual needs and the thirst of people for a more equitable and enlightened world. He is the founder of the Club of Budapest, which is a uh, very important think tank that looks at the evolution of human values and consciousness as a means to counter humanity's race towards degradation, polarization, and disaster. Nice to have you with us today. Here is my concern, and from my concern, I would appreciate if you could give us your understanding of how you see the problem. I see a concentration of power unprecedented in American history in the hands of corporate um, corporate individuals, major corporations, uh, from the pharmaceutical industry, the military-industrial complex industry, the, um, the health insurance industries, Wall Street, the financial industries, and some other industries, the oil and uh, resource industries. And these individuals are looking after the financial bottom lines of their companies. But they also know that in America, we do not question people how they make their money as long as they're willing to share it and spend it with people in their circle. They hire the lobbyists, the lobbyists go to Washington, and then they, uh, they end up influencing laws, any law that adverse, is adverse to them, they get uh, swept away. Laws they want to put in place to protect them, giving them frequently mon monopolistic powers, they get implemented. On the other hand, we have these regular elections by governors and and mayors and senators, house members and presidents who constantly tell us that they're looking out for our interests. The trouble is when I look, I don't see that any of these people as are consistent with rare exception that Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul are looking after our interests. They're looking after their own and they're being told what should be an interest by these people. So now when I look at the future of America, I see that there is a movement towards more progressive-minded people who are not willing to work within the government institutions because they see them irreparably uh, corrupted. They do not see it, it see it capable of having these institutions reformed to the degree where they can actually represent the people. So I see a counter-movement of people who are going to challenge the government. And at some point, I see a, a, a serious confrontation. I would like your insights. I would like your views as to what happens since right now we do not have a government willing to acknowledge climate change as in, in, in a constructive way. The President of the United States just said that yesterday. Don't look for us to sign anything. We're not going to. They're not caring about the degradation of our inner cities, our school system, our educational system. 
They don't care about how rich certain people come and how poor other people come. There is no movement right now in the United States, none, to address the poor, the middle class, the hungry, our environment, our health care system. Those five areas impact every single person. Instead, all that they're doing is aligning themselves with the very rich and very powerful. Now, would you please address what you see from your point of view as the problem and the solutions? Well, Gary, I, <clears throat> I approach the problem from the viewpoint of what I learned as a systems theorist applying to the contemporary situation. You know, let me just say in a few words, and then I'll try, try to say how this applies, how this works. When you have a stable system that has so many defenses against change, against the status quo, that's very difficult to overcome it. As long as the system is viable, it's going to maintain itself. It's conservative. This is how major churches, the Vatican has operated. This is how dictatorial regimes have operated. This is how Wall Street operates. As long as the system can maintain itself, it protects itself from change. Anybody trying to change the system is going to be excommunicated, either literally or, or metaphorically, is being put on the sidelines, or being considered a utopian at best or a dangerous criminal at worst. Now, when the system becomes unsustainable, then it's bound to change, it has to change. The question is, do we recognize that the system that we have today is becoming unsustainable? That's the whole question of sustainability. It's very simply put, the question of sustainability is that we have a certain carrying capacity both on the planet as a whole and locally on any given environment for people to live and to live properly. That carrying capacity is being overused today. So the entire system within which we operate is becoming unsustainable. According to some calculations, for example, in terms of the ecological footprint, we need another planet and a half the size of Earth to be able to satisfy people's demand, today humanity's demand, on a sustainable basis. Now what is missing at this point is the recognition that the system as it operates today in the U.S. and in other industrialized countries, I would say almost anywhere in the world, is simply not sustainable. That means it cannot keep on going without breaking down. It's beginning to crack already. The crisis that we have had a year ago, and the previously we had oil crisis, so all kinds of things happening, and there are periodically health crisis coming on. All these are symptoms, symptoms of a condition which means that the system as such cannot be maintained. Now, as long as people believe that it can be maintained, they'll, man they'll try to keep their positions, protect themselves, and they'll do everything to suppress uh, the information that uh, indicates that the system has problems. And nobody else can come in on this. Now, it's important, therefore, that the general population that becomes more informed, becomes better informed on the questions on the topics, on the processes that endanger our system. So let me say, Gary, and in one word, give you one word here. I mean, one word was obviously sustainability, but the other key word is crisis. Very interestingly, crisis is both the danger and our salvation. As long as we don't have crisis, the system will continue like this until it collapses. If we have periodically crisis, it shakes up the system and enables fresh blood to flow into it. It enables change to come in. What we can hope for, 
strangely enough, is not a total absence of crisis, but the kind of crisis that we can cope with through innovative ideas, through new thinking, through better values, through a better conception of leadership. If we have that, and I think we may be coming, going in that di direction now, I think change will happen. It's already beginning to happen, but as you point out, there is such a strong resistance on the mainstream that it doesn't yet penetrate, doesn't become powerful enough to really change the world in which we live. Okay, but let's go through this. The people who say that they are em empowered by us as elected officials to make the policies that allow us to pay attention to whether or not there's going to be food that is grown on land or whether there's going to be biofuels grown on that same land that will not feed anyone, whether we're going to pay attention to allowing more people to live in areas that do not have, uh, does not have an adequate water supply, or whether we're going to begin to say, I'm sorry, you just, you can't live here because there's not enough water, and there's not going to be water for the future. So we have no, no one in power right now willing to say no to where we shouldn't live, no to what we shouldn't be doing, and instead we're bleeding ourselves into fruitless and stupid wars that we cannot win and will not win, and both of these will end up being two more Vietnams, and we don't care about the rest of the world. So why should we any longer have any confidence in these institutions? I'm sorry, I do not see any institution, any institution under any circumstance capable of doing what they should do to make any difference. And the crisis that we're approaching, the crisis that we're in, are not going to wait for political resolution. It doesn't matter whether you're a stupid Democrat or a stupid Republican. If there's going to be a tipping point, and there will be tipping points, as you well know, it's not going to wait until we finally get the courage and, and get out of our comfort zone to say, I'm sorry to special interest groups, but we're going to have to do something about the climate. Uh, and someone's going to say, no, we can't. And suddenly you've got all the people rushing and say, but you can't. We don't want this industry hurt, this industry hurt, this industry hurt. And all the while we're assuming that... The rising of the ocean, that the uh, uh, deforestation, uh, that the temperature changes are going to wait for us. It's not. So why don't you tell us what you see as the likely prognosis uh, to this and then where we have to begin to take matters into our own hands and to, and to be able to live more consciously. Well, I see as a key problem, as a key element of provoking, catalyzing change, is to make people understand that the processes that are underway today come to critical points, come to what you call it tipping points. That's, I think, is the key issue. Local crisis, sectoral crisis, whether it's financial or food or water or, or disease or whatever, are local specific tipping points in this. There's also a global tipping point in which we simply overuse the carrying capacity of the planet for the human population. And the populations that ha are wealthy, that are powerful in the industrial countries in this country, above all, but also in many parts of Europe and in Japan and in China and in India, these have, have in their hands the power either to carry on as they do and wait until the roof falls in or to begin to change. Now, important factor here is to understand that this is a finite time that is available to us. It's not sometime in the future. You know, when we started looking at the trends that threaten human life on this planet, 
whether it's global warming, whether it's drought, whether it's uh, flooding, whether it's the melting of the, of the ice cap or whatever, uh, we started looking at it in terms of sometime by the end of the 21st century. Then the next set of prognosis and forecasts talked about the middle of the century. Now we are down to 20 years, and some of them say 5 to 10 years. Some of these processes could move into a critical phase. Now, when you take into account that one of these trends, whether it's an ecological trend or a poverty trend or a violence trend or, or whichever is economic, ecologic, or social, they also interact among themselves, that when one thing happens, it can provoke violence, for example, create hot warfare, and that, that at point changes the ecology because it changes the, uh, the chemical composition of the atmosphere with all the, uh, all the explosives, it warms it up locally. That can create a butterfly effect, which produces further catastrophes elsewhere, ecological catastrophes. So for example, hot warfare today is a suicidal means, no matter where it takes place, for what reason, it's, it's plainly suicide in terms of the ecology of the planet, also in terms of the human uh, potentials. But so all of these things need to be become known that we have a finite time available. Some people say that we have passed the tipping point. There have been some forecasts, for example, by the uh, biologists who came up uh, in the 1980s with the famous theory of Gaia, Gaia, the living Earth, you know, as this uh, whole biosphere as a self-maintaining system. His name is James Lovelock. Now, he said uh, that now we have probably reached the point where this system doesn't regulate itself like it did for the past 10,000 years. We have subverted its, its, uh, its balances, and now it's going to be a home, be able to offer carrying capacity for less than 1 billion people. And now we are close to uh, perhaps even up to 7 billion. So this would mean a population collapse of unprecedented dimensions. Now, Lovelock doesn't believe that we can change in time. And when you look at the factors that you marshal, for example, and also does seem like you know we are so pig-headedly going in one direction, it doesn't seem likely that we are going to change. But I do believe that there is a chance. If people wake up to the fact that we are on the board of the Titanic, and we are just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, and having the greatest privilege, having the owner's cabin, as long as they are still on the deck of the Titanic, is not really a good thing to do and to have. There are better things to do. We should change course so that we don't, don't run into those icebergs ahead. If people recognize that they, we can do this and there's a finite time available, they'll start asking, what is it that we can do? And then the dynamic of the system might change. That is my hope, you know, that the, the change will come from people. People have to be informed. There's a beautiful saying by Thomas Jefferson. He said, when you believe, if you believe that the people are not informed enough to exercise leadership in society, then the solution is not to take power from their hands, but to inform them. I think, to, to my mind, what you are doing, what I'm trying to do, uh, on, on these programs and, and in writing and in other things is to bring about a consciousness, a recognition that yes, crises are coming, but crisis means that the status quo is not tenable. But crisis also means that when the system becomes unstable, it becomes open, to, it cracks open, and it enables change to occur. So we are coming close to the point where change could occur. And if we 
create positive change before the system breaks down and creates a catastrophe. See, that is our chance for the future. So it becomes a, a self-correcting system. It needs to inform the population. It needs to inform the, the customer, the client, the, the consumer, uh, the electorate. It needs to inform all elements of civil society so that we become, we become wise enough to wake up in time and to take matters into our hand. The system is weaker than it was. I believe the system is capable of being made to change, but only if people join together, wake up to these facts, and take matters into their hand. Okay, I appreciate those insights, and I thank you for that. I'd like to uh, direct it to a few more areas. One is that our health care system is an abysmal failure for about 80% of the people who are involved in seeing a physician. I believe that physicians are not able today, by the restraints that they're placed under by state medical boards and insurance reimbursement, to treat a person in the way that they would ideally like to. Unfortunately, both the doctors, the nurses, and the patients have all acquiesced that they are not the real uh, points of interest, that the profit uh, is first and foremost the most single important decision made in any medical process. How much money can we make from this? Who's going to make it? And how can we ensure that a doctor is not in some uh, rare and renegade and maverick moment going to say, you know something, rather than taking this uh, very expensive antibiotic at $60 per pill or rather than taking this chemotherapy at uh, $250,000 for one year round, we're going to try something different. We're going to see what we can do and suddenly they say, hold on a second, you can't do that. So I'm concerned that in all the debate on health care, and I think it is an absolute crisis that they are allowing this to be passed, this terrible piece of legislation that I'm going to deal with on my 3 o'clock show today, if you look at what they're actually passing, they're, they're celebrating the fact that they got enough consensus to pass it. No one's questioning what did they pass. But then again, this is the bread and circus in America. We focus upon happy days are here again. Look, we've passed something that we didn't think would pass. And everybody says, oh, thank goodness, they passed something. And no one's saying, what exactly did we pass? Well, they didn't look at what they passed when they got rid of the um, Delaney Amendment, the only law we had in the United States that protected us against cancer-causing agents in our environment. They got rid of that, but it passed. They thought they did something good. They passed. They got rid of the glass teaguac. Everybody celebrated. They got, they got the Medicare program in there, which is a horrific program. The way it's constructed, they celebrate. So I think we're going to see celebration without introspection, without looking at consequence of what we've done. I see it as only one more step towards making it more difficult for doctors to help work with their patients. Tell us what you see is the need for real change and what we need to do in order to get healthier in America. Well, you know the situation, Gary, here much better than I do, and I'm willing to take your word for it, and I appreciate your insights. Uh, in general, what I can say is that it's doctors as individuals and patients as individuals have to wake up and take matters into their hand. If they recognize that healing is not a question of using the most expensive remedies or, or treatments, and just taking all the synthetic stuff that, that is possible to take. But healing is a question of taking the whole human being into account 
and living in a healthier way, having healthier relations with others, having a better spiritual development, you know, as the whole human being, and that a doctor is there not just as a repairman for treating a, a, a sick organism like a, a car that is breaking down and then all of a sudden have to change a part or adjust a part and take your screwdriver and work on it. If the doctor recognizes that he is there to help people remain healthy, then they don't need to become servants to the main line pharmaceutical industry. They, there are so many alternative medications, uh, ways of curing are available. You used to talk about alternative medicine. I prefer to talk about complementary medicine because it's in many cases uh, when it's something becomes really desperate, then you do need the, the standard treatments, uh, whether it's allopathic or surgical or other. But uh, in most other cases, to keep healthy, you don't need those drastic interventions. You need a healthier lifestyle. You need to eat healthier. You need to breathe a little bit healthier. You need to come back to yourself and to others and to the environment. So if people would recognize that health care is not a question of repairing the breakdown, but of keeping one, oneself happy, then you could perhaps go back. Also, that's a bit idealistic. Go back to a system that you had for, in China, for example, for thousands of years, which was they paid their doctors as long as people were healthy. And when they broke down, then they didn't pay them. You know, here we do just the opposite. When we are healthy, we think we don't need the doctors, which is fine. But then we only pay them when when something needs to be done. I think we need to have people who care for our health, and that means people have an insight that we are whole human beings, and that we don't need that uh, system whereby the more uh, you pay, the better treatment you get. The Nature is free. Uh, air, for the time being, is free, but it's often very polluted. But we, we have to, we, we can live in a much healthier way. So the healthcare system should be brought back to the public awareness, to the consciousness of the people, that you don't need to enter into the big commercial markets in order to stay healthy. What you need to do is to start living in a way that people have lived for thousands of years, which is a much healthier way, and only use the, the current treatments and, and big remedies in the, as a matter of last resort. Doctors also as health care professionals, and not just as people who fix up uh, the, the, the sicknesses. I think it's a completely different mindset. I don't know how this can be reformed from the top down. I believe that a reform could start and should start from the bottom up, as people recognize that they don't need that kind of system, that they can lead, lead a healthier life, and that they can turn to kind of medicine which is energy medicine, which is information medicine, which is natural medicine. It's available and use the current medicine only as a matter of last resort. I think this is possible, and it's up to people to take this step. Okay. Another area is where we're, I believe we're now engaged in two dynamics simultaneously. We are being influenced by people who are massively egotistical. A lot of these are major media, especially on the cable systems, both on the left and the right, plus in the, in the print media. And they're not looking beyond their own uh, self-absorbed nature.
A lot of these people, however, have let us believe that the answer is either in the Democrat or Republican uh, machine and ideology. I have looked carefully for positive solutions on any of our major problems getting us out of these conflicts. Both parties are getting us further into these conflicts, helping to address the needs of the poor in the world. They're actually creating more poverty. Um, uh, looking at our current financial system and the fact that we're wanting people to go out and spend money and to get loans, and that would just re-in- reinvigorate the old balloon. People already have more things than what they need, and the way they should be living is not in alignment with a sustainable future. Yet we're trying to re-blow up this balloon. So I see that we have a lack of reason, a lack of compassion, and a lack of spiritual uh, words and voices out there. The, the most powerful voices from a spiritual perspective are denied access to any of our forums. And I, I'd like your views on this because if we don't have people coming from a purely spiritual, humanistic point of view, how in the world will we ever find um, any form of meaningful change in ones that are coming from their ego and have been consistently wrong? wrong at every point, and they don't acknowledge it. Institutions don't acknowledge. Governments don't acknowledge. Your thoughts? Well, the recognition that something has got to change, I think, is, has to be ultimately the key. For the time being, everybody who has access to power wants to exercise power. And uh, the, the uh, recipes, the prescriptions, are all for maintaining the seats of power. When the system, however, is close to its breaking point, then it's maintaining it in its current state doesn't help. It needs to be, it needs to have change, and it needs catalysts of change. You know, in ancient Athens, there was Socrates who questioned the ruling ideas and the ruling system, <clears throat> and he called people called for people to think on their own. He was considered a gadfly. Today. You are, Gary, also a gadfly, a very useful, very important one. We need many more Gary Nults like, your, like yourself so that we can question this system, not because we want to have a violent uh, overthrow, a political revolution, but we want to get a peaceful revolution, a cultural revolution, a kind of change that penetrates from the mainstream of society, from civil society, so people say, enough. We need to have leaders, we need to have spokespersons who recognize the situation in which we are in and, and also can show us the way. The way is really surprisingly simple. The way is to recognize that we are part of a large family, which today is the family uh, planet-wide, the whole human family, seven billion us. And the way is to maintain ourselves alive on this spaceship Earth which has a given carrying capacity which we are overusing. The way is to recognize that those of us who have the money, the power, the industrial capacity, the technological capacity, have the key responsibility to create that level of change that can penetrate and that can head off the collapse. I think it can be headed off. We have the means, but we need to change the institutions. What you are talking about, Gary, is are the institutions, the way we agree, the way we proceed, the leadership patterns, and the way it, everything is commercialized. We recognize that this is the end of an era. This is something that no longer works. It's over. 
people in power don't recognize that it's over, that it's over, that it no longer works. But people are, other people are waking up to this fact. So if you have a popular movement coming up to that famous critical mass where people say, okay, that's enough. Now let's do something meaningful. Let's create a world in which there is more equity, in which all people can live and where we can live more healthily. It's possible. We have the energy, you know, just to speak of energy for a moment. Uh, people think there's not enough energy. And, uh, well, that's absolutely a foolishness. The 40 minutes of solar radiation that reaches the equator of this planet would be enough to cover all of mankind's energy needs for one year. Of course, it needs to be converted. It needs to be used. Uh, but there are technologies that show that by the year 2020, as recent articles show in Scientific American, for example, all of our energy needs could be covered by flow energies, by, which is infinite, because the sun is going to be around for an 8 to 10 or 11 billion years, so we don't have to worry about that. We are not using it. And we are, we, are sowing, we are doing still a cowboy economics of the kind where we're picking up resources from the Earth, we are converting them and we're throwing them back again. So we have a spaceship where we are just using the batteries until they get depleted, which are fossil energies. We are using the material and garbage is, is, is piling up here, and that's not the way to, to conduct our affairs. So crises, believe me, are on the way, and the crises have to be the opening also for change. Now, with words like yours, we can anticipate crisis. We can perceive that the situation is such that it leads to crisis. And that gives us the opening to, be, to rethink and to adopt the kind of ideas, the kind of leadership, and the kind of ways of conducting our own lives, the kind of consumer patterns, the kind of lifestyles, the kind of ways of communicating, and seek the kind of information that makes it possible for us to live healthily and well. And this society, which is so, so crucial for the health and well-being of all of humanity. You know, Gary, I come from the philosophy of science and from looking at the new scientific breakthroughs. And on that level, I can tell you something which would, should have sounded pretty esoteric yet uh, a few years ago. And maybe it so sounds like that even today to some people. And that's that there is not only our individual consciousness. We have also something like a joint shared consciousness because we can interact on many levels with each other, also on a spontaneous level. One person's thoughts, one person's consciousness interacts with another. Now, the way our, what is happening is that this collective consciousness, this mindset that is typical for a people is beginning to change, is beginning to show that the old mindset is breaking up here and there. And therefore, there are groups of people who are switched into the new mindset, who are coming up with it, who recognize that their true interests lie very differently from what we are being sold by the commercial interests, by the commercial enterprises. They can live healthier, can live better. I have just finished a, a tour, a book tour, uh, in various parts of the country, which is to present my new book, which is called World Shift 2012. I can say a couple of, just a couple of words about that later. But the point is that wherever I go, I find an unprecedented interest in the idea that we are at the end of an epoch, that we are at the beginning of a new one, and the change is in our hands, that we can do something. So therefore, people are beginning to become more sociable. They're creating communities, small communities, and they grow. They begin to interact with each other. We have the means. We can live much healthier. 
and we have everything in our, at our disposal. We need more information, and the information is also available. You produce information, and the Internet has information of, of, of the relevant kinds. If people are willing, to, they can go after it, and they can, f uh, they can find it. There is a cultural change, a cultural revolution in the offering already. It's, change, it's already begun. The point of importance is that to do it, to facilitate it, to help it to unfold, because also the crisis point is getting closer, so that we have we are in a race with time. We need to change, but we need to change in time by. This is why I say, let's look at that famous period, the end of 2012, as the time by which we should take certain steps. After, if we don't, it will be very difficult to change things around, to turn things around. Could, final question for you. Could you take some time now, please, and give us an understanding of why 2012 is so important, and also how are people in Europe, Italy, Spain, uh, where they've been hard hit in Spain, especially with the water droughts and, and the people losing their land in Ireland, and even in the old Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Poland, Czechoslovakia, uh, Slovakia, how are they making change? We're not aware of that in the United States. The average American, they couldn't even point out Romania on a map. They wouldn't know uh, Yugoslavia and, and how it was broken into three countries. They wouldn't know any of this because we're out of touch completely. We're so absorbed in what is immediate, our instant gratification here. So please give us your eye view of how others are coping, even in Australia. Australia is one of the first countries, it's an entire country, that is losing its capacity for sustainability over at least 80% of the entire country. It's the worst drought in history, and it's going to continue. So give us your view on this, please. Well, there is no uniform process as far as I can see. There are people who would like to ignore, like they do over here and anywhere in the world, like to ignore that there are dangerous processes that call for change, that like to just preserve the status quo and whatever privileges they have, and they look at the immediate future. And they try to say everything else in imagination and, and uh, forget it, it's, it's utopian. And just uh, uh, the question is to survive from one day to the next. And that is there, there is, that exists too, and unfortunately it's very much among the leadership cadres in, in, in all of these countries as well. At the same time, there is a, a group, another uh, population segment, lots of young people, but lots of times uh, the, the intelligent people, the, the scientists, the culturally averse people, the people who are have a, a, a religious or, or spiritual inclination are responding. So there are two elements going on simultaneously. There's the old world still in the mainstream, and there is a young new world showing up already, cropping up, but does not having yet the power to take over. There are discussions more and more. In my own case, I mentioned that I've just uh, uh, published this little book called World Shift 2012. I'm now flying over tonight to Germany. Tomorrow morning, I've been asked to do a press conference to talk to journalists because they want to know what about that film, 2012, which is going to be released in Europe as well as here, just a, a, a day or two, and they want to know what about the collapse of 2012. So I'm going to tell them that physical collapse of the planet, uh, of all the infrastructure on the planet, is pure nonsense. 
but this is a very useful nonsense because it makes us aware of the fact that we have a tipping point that is facing us and that is not going to be something that we can't handle it's a tipping point of our own making and it's our own making that can make us get us past it it's going to be a human catastrophe if you don't act and it could be a new world if you do act so it's useful to think about 2012 here as well as in Europe as well as in Japan and China and wherever Excellent. I thank you very much for stopping by, allowing us to film you for some documentaries and be in the studio. We look forward to our next conversation together. Well, Gary, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to talk with you. You are one of the most important personalities in calling attention to these important factors that make us the true agents of change and the key to a new world. Thank you very much. My guest, Dr. Irvin Laszlo, uh, he is a, a, a thinker uh, extraordinaire. He is the author of an important new book called World Shift 2012, Making Green Business, New Politics, and Higher Consciousness Work Together.